Welcome back to the Send 938 podcast, a ministry of Baptism Missions designed to encourage, equip, and inspire the next generation of missionary servants and the churches who will send them. I'm your host, Steve Anderson, Administrator for North American Ministries with Baptism Missions, and I'm joined today at our annual family conference at our makeshift studio here at First Baptist Church of Elyria with a few friends of mine serving under the banner of Baptist Missions in Brazil. And on my right is uh, Graham Foran. He's the administrator for our ministries in Brazil. Glad to be here. Yeah, good to have you back, Graham. Graham's a, an old veteran of the Send 938 podcast now. Sort of old, sort of old. <laughs> so we'll remove old. We'll just call you the veteran. All right. All right. Uh, if you haven't heard the episodes that Graham's been on, they're worth listening to. He's a, he's a, he's a wise and humorous uh, administrator, so... Thankful you're here. And, uh, of course, uh, Graham is here uh, in big part because the interviewees for today's missionary introduction uh, are a couple that has been serving in Brazil since 1984. Well, not since 84. He joined the mission in 84 and uh, headed to, to Brazil uh, with, as I heard in our pre-interview here, without a, an idea yet where the Lord would have you serve there, but uh, committed to service in Brazil. And that's uh, Jim and Rhonda Shaw. And so good to have you guys here today. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, good. So uh, these missionary interviews are are very simply just designed to introduce folks to our, our ministry family and uh, places of service and some of the some of the interesting needs and opportunities that would exist there. So let's just begin with what the Lord did to to bring you into uh, service in Brazil. And uh, um, you had a family um, when you went to to the field. Three young settled kids. in a in yeah, a family yeah. life and experience here in the states. I assume to some degree, and and yet the Lord took you somewhere else and uh, did something entirely different with your life. So tell us how that happened. Well, after uh, after graduating from Bible college, we uh, Rhonda and I were married in Jacksonville, Florida, and we served in a little church there about a year, year and a half, and felt God's leading go back to Tennessee, and that's during the gas crunch years of uh, 1975, and began to candidate for churches and and just make ourselves available to God show us what He wanted us to do, and we felt like God wanted us in pastoring, and took a little church up in the mountains, and and uh, we lasted 11 months. Uh, they weren't accustomed to a lot of changes that the young 25 year old preacher wanted to make, and but we ended up going back to Athens, Tennessee, working with a former uh, uh, Tennessee Temple student uh, that um, had gone there in 73. And it was a place where we felt like we could go and maybe find God's will and to, to get direction in our life. Basically, we just went there not to warm a bench, but to be busy and, and, and find God's direction. And uh, at that time, uh, they had a, a camp ministry, a 148-acre uh, youth camp, and uh, their camp director had resigned. And he said he couldn't take it anymore. He was resigning. And uh and so the pastor came to him and he said, uh, would you pray about uh, maybe taking the leadership of that camp, being our camp director and be co-pastor of this church? I said, I don't have to pray about it. God's been putting this on our heart to work with youth. And he just has opened the door. We just know there's God's will. And so we moved into the camp in, uh, in uh, the winter of 1976 and uh, right in the center of God's will. I mean, just ha- I mean, anything we could get, our, get ourselves involved in, just especially the camp, but um, – I was a Sunday school teacher for folks who were twice my age, uh, got involved in the visitation ministry. They started a Christian school. We were involved in that, uh, working with the, with the teenagers, helping the youth pastor, and anything. We were just occupied, perfectly happy in the will of God yeah. until uh, some years into the camp ministry, God began to really, I guess, disturb our hearts about some a commitment that I'd made in uh, Bible school. We had missions conference every year. Those missionaries would come. We'd, I'd been exposed to missions uh, through our, uh, a former church in Virginia that I was attending where I was called to preach. And those missions conference were just a delight to me to see those different fields and sense the burden of those missionaries. And But I was always praying, Lord, send, send somebody to help those guys, you know, those, those families. And yet the fourth year, God said, um, you know, began to disturb my heart again about, about 
what he wanted me to do. And, uh, and God used one missionary to really speak to my heart. And he asked a question. He said, uh, is it slightly possible that God is calling you to the mission field? And I began to think about the question, if the Lord is the Lord of my life and he has all the keys to my life, then I haven't given him that right. So I went forward and I signed the card and said, Lord, if you want to use me as a missionary, then I'm yours. And I signed the card and left it there. Thirteen years later, God reminded me of that little card, that <laughs> commitment. And uh, things just weren't the same. Uh, God said, I'm calling you to a different campground. <laughs> it's a lot bigger <laughs> campground. And uh, so we began to search, and, and we thought maybe God wanted some missionary aviation. We weren't sure about that, and we had no direction. And God used another missionary to come to preach at our church where we were serving. And uh, it was on Mother's, around, around Mother's Day in 1984. And uh, God used that man's message in his presentation to speak to our hearts about just surrendering to him. And we went forward, and, and uh, I didn't realize she'd gone forward. I went forward. I was a guy that dealt with the people up front, you know. And, and uh, I said, Lord, uh, we're yours. We, we want you to use us any way you can, where you want us to go. And so we told the pastor and um, we told the church. Now it's the church, and the church uh, kind of shocked, you know, that we were leaving after 10 years of ministry. And, and uh, they said, we're, we're, next natural question is, where are you going to go? And I said, we don't know. <laughs> so, and, and it helped us to realize that God calls us to himself and, and how he's capacitated us and gifted us and the experiences that he'd given us up to that point that God would put us where in time he would show us. So we began to search for mission fields or mission agencies. And um, and we went to a, a group in Chattanooga, BIMI, that some folks Baptist International Missions, and that's the only place I need to turn. And so we went there and the director said, uh, he said, yeah, I said, we need uh, missionary pilots in, in this area. And he rolled out this huge map of Brazil. Man, it's a big country, and <laughs> and that's the first time I ever thought. I never thought any more about it when he rolled that map out. I said, "We need we need missionaries here," and I uh, just left it at that and began to search God's will. And um, eventually, after we had made that decision, final decision, surrender our hearts to the Lord, the Lord began to open doors, put other people into our lives that uh, began to give us direction. And and one of those was the the fact that uh, a fellow by the name of Bill Smallman, <laughs> everybody knows. Yeah. Uh, Gave us a phone call at the camp, and he said, hey, tell me about your life and your ministry. I mean, he reached out to us, and, and yes. whereas the others hadn't. You know, it's not that it, any fault in the others, just that that was God's will that Bill Smallman called us on the telephone, and he said, tell me about your, your ministry, or what, what God's doing in your life. And we told him, you know, we don't know where God wants us to go, and as we feel like maybe on some missionary aviation. And he said, if I can get approval from the council, he said, would you be willing to come to candidate school in and, and, and Cedarville? I said, well, sure, no problem. We were in the middle of camp ministry, so we'll, we'll make a way. And he got approval. We saw baptism admissions before they saw us. <laughs> we got to see the the health of that mission and the the doctrine of that mission before they saw our health and saw our doctrine. And we went there. We went there, and we got a little blue tag. It said baptism admission. We were proud to get that tag, baptism admission. But underneath it, it said uh, undetermined. <laughs> <laughs> and that's dangerous <laughs> to go to candidate school undetermined, undeclared. And, and the thing is that nobody pulled or said, hey, you need to come to our feet. Nobody said that. And we just prayed that that two weeks before that two weeks was, in, was over, that God was going to show us where he wanted us. And when we were through with those two weeks, listening to those, those veterans and being with those people and people praying with us, uh, we knew that uh, God had wanted us in Brazil. But then we began to realize that, that the Amazon region was the distinct place that he was calling us as well, the Amazon being the north region of Brazil. And that's all we knew. And so then we began that long journey, that desperation trail of being approved. And, um, the desperation 20, trail. 20, <laughs> they call it deputation. I think it's, yeah, I think it's pronounced deputation. <laughs> We heard the war stories, four and five years raising support, but we were just excited about knowing at least this part of God's will. And so here we are uh, getting approval. We were approved finally in uh, November of, of, of 1984. And uh, you know, God spoke to our hearts and Mother's Day surrendering here is November 1984, and, and we're being approved by the mission. 
and uh, we went to Minneapolis. We, we, that was a foreign country to us, going to Minneapolis, St. <laughs> Paul, and and uh, they doctrinal examination scared to death. I mean, you know, here, been in the ministry thirteen years, scared to death from a doctrinal examination. <laughs> but they let us. They let us. We're not here to to trick you. We're just here to to just check you out. And yeah. uh, we were approved, and we got permission to go on the road. We traveled. In a year and a half, we traveled 55,000 miles, went to 137 churches. We ended up with 52 churches and 110% support. And in a year and a half, January 11th, 1987, we were standing on the streets of Manaus, Brazil. Amen. And, uh, and just said, you know, and then suddenly we're frustrated. So why are you frustrated? We can't do anything. 13 years of ministry, you know, preaching and teaching and being involved and active in ministry, and suddenly you just, uh, there's nothing. Can't speak the language. Can't speak the language. <laughs> You're in, a, you're in language school and begin to do some survey work. And uh, so in 1987, began our trek of still trusting God in this huge country, bigger than the continental United States. So where do you want us in this country, Lord? So finally, uh, through the help of a colleague, Al Spieth, uh, kind of connecting to the vision that he had, uh, we went to Santa Ana and spent three days there and then uh, stayed with a Brazilian uh, uh, man who was also a missionary. And we just sensed that's where God wanted us. And so we got approval. Baptism admission has a uh, policy, especially in Brazil, that newcomers and uh, new new guys on the block just don't go out on their own on, on first terms. And, and believe it or not, they felt like that we were kind of seasoned, so they, they gave us approval to go to Santanay under their watchful eye. And uh, we went, and we ended up in Santanay on uh, August 7th, 1988, and didn't know a person in that town except their landlord. Mm. And then again, asking God, where do we start from here? What do we do? <laughs> and it's been that way ever since. You know, Abraham went out not know trusting God, but sometimes not knowing wh- what we're going to do, or where we're going. That God is God is just so been so wonderful and powerful, and, and but it's not been an easy road. A lot of a lot of changes uh, we had to go through in culture, and yeah. we didn't mind any of that. We were just glad to be in the center of God's will. Yeah. That's great. There's a little overlap here uh, in my story and uh, the Shaw's story. Uh, we joined Baptist Missions in 1986. And I was, my wife and I were at the triannual conference at the time. We were just joining the mission and the Shaws were finishing up their furlough and heading out for the field. I didn't know them from anybody <laughs> in the world, but uh, Jim came up to me while we were kind of standing around the lobby and here we're freshly minted, you know, shiny penny new missionaries <laughs> and lost. And I'm thinking, how are we going to do a display table? And Jim comes up and says, do you have anything for your display table? I'm like, No. He said, you can have all our stuff. And I got this table full of stuff from Brazil. I didn't even know what it was. But that was a great, it was a great blessing to me. So we, we, we ended up giving it to somebody else when we left. Oh, that's Amen. funny. That's really cool. So life in the Amazon, for every young person that, uh, that hears about where you serve, I'm sure they've had lots of questions about the, the animals, the food, the, the experiences. Um, but, but really, there are places in the Amazon that are very modern cities today right yes you got, yes you mentioned manaus i mean manaus is an enormous metropolitan yeah, two and a half million right. now today yeah yeah and you're 500 miles from there right so what is what does something look like what's the what's the makeup of that city the dynamics there the it's a it's a port city has no industry um basically the fishing trade uh, lumbered a lot of trees lumber comes out of that town uh, goes all over the world has a dock that now it's uh number one Doc, uh, sending out soy, uh, Cargill is there now and sending out soil all over the world and corn. And, uh, it's a very modern city. We went, there's about 180,000 people kind of backwards. It could be a beautiful city, uh, being a port city right on the Amazon, the Tapajos rivers. And, uh, it's just two the, rivers. I was yeah. there as a tourist Yes, and the two rivers come together and go side by side for miles downstream, the dark 
and uh, muddy Amazon in the clean, clear tapajos, yeah. right. and they don't mix. Don't mix. They just go side by side. Yeah. Just amazing. And yeah. river dolphins. I'm, 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 <laughs> I, I was a tourist there, so maybe I remember things that <laughs> yeah. the old timers right. think yeah, are just normal. <laughs> yeah, Is that where they have the, the pink dolphins? Yes. yes. Yeah. We have very few pink ones. The more of the tukushi, uh, they call them the gray dolphins, but uh, they're there and plenty. Mm. <laughs> That's funny. Piranhas stay in the Amazon River because it's cooler waters. The tapajos is safe to swim in. <laughs> Wow, we, we don't have alligators. Too, but. We don't have alligators, anacondas in the streets. Uh, were there people? Those animals. You can see that within thirty minutes. You know, if you want to go into the jungle. What's the population of something now? They are over three hundred thousand. Okay, and it's it. Uh, that doesn't mean it's a huge city. Um, geographically, just, just means they're building up. They're building up, and it, a lot more Brazilians can fit in a smaller yeah. space than Americans. Yeah, they, yeah. they it's, fit it's very really closely together. So, yeah. so you've been uh, you've been in a church planting ministry, yes. yes, while you're there, yes. And uh, give us a little bit of the the landscape of that. Maybe maybe Rhonda can give us the. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we first when we first went to Santarém, um, we started our first meetings on the back porch of the first house that we lived in, um, and we started with actually just three couples. That came, um, and actually, it was just Jim that started because at this exact moment, um, our oldest daughter Shelley um, had internal hemorrhaging, and I had to fly her back to the states. So she and I had to leave right before our very first meeting on the back porch. So Jim was left there with our other two children um, for about six weeks. Shelley had to have surgery and different things, and we got back. But from that. Three couples that expanded to where we had over 40 people on our back porch having Sunday school in the mornings and evening services. And and um, so that's when we decided we better try to find some land and <laughs> do something because no more are going to fit on our back porch. Yeah. Um, so we were able to buy some land and we began gradually building um, the church. We built it in about three stages, I think. Um, one of the things we noticed in Brazil that was a real culture shock for us was that every house, every building, everything has walls around it. You know, you have walls around your property. And we didn't want to do that with the church because it just felt so uninviting (laughs) to have a wall around your church. Mm -hmm. So um, we started having services on that property when we just had the framework. So we just had a roof and and the columns coming down and it was open and we began having services there. And People would ride their bicycle right through the middle of the service. They'd ride their motorcycle right through the middle of the service. Sometimes someone would come up when Jim was preaching and say, hey, pastor, can you give me a piece of steel or a piece of this? Or you know. So we discovered real quickly that you probably had to have a wall around the church. So that was the next phase we went to, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Church, church planting 101 in, in America. Yeah. Be visible. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Church, church planting in most of the rest of the world. Uh, yeah. You, you just do what needs done. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. It was, it's interesting too. You, you haven't thought in, in our young minds, you know, we didn't want to go to Brazil to try to make Americans out of them. Right. This is how you got to do it. Like we do this in America, you know, and we had to know their culture. And, and one of the experiences we had was that we, well, we're going to start Sunday school at uh, nine 45, 10 o'clock and we'll end at noon, you know, and, and they adapted to that for a long time until one of the ladies came up and said, uh, pastor, could, could we move the, the time of the service for Sunday school a little bit earlier? And I said, well, what would be the motive in that? She said, we don't have refrigerators. I said, all right, refrigerators, Sunday school time. What does that have to do? And she said, you see, you know, you Americans have money to buy refrigerators. She says, poor Brazilians don't have refrigerators. And so we have to go hunt our food. And so when you finish at noon, most Brazilians are already through with their meal by noontime, you know. And so she said, that allows us to go home 
earlier to find the markets the and, market and buy, buy our foods, and then we can prepare them and so forth. So we moved the services to 8.30, and they were perfectly happy. And, and <laughs> now it's hard for us to get used to coming to America and then 10 o'clock Sunday school. Man, is this thing ever going to get over? <laughs> well, <laughs> so is it they, ever going to start? Yeah, you know, yeah. We don't know what to do with ourselves well, no, on Sunday you know, morning. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a, that's a quasi-humorous example of, of importing American culture into yeah, yes. global ministry, but yes. but that is a real challenge. Is is the 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 necessary uh, effort not to simply reproduce a church culture yes. that you're familiar with, but rather to reproduce churches, right? And um, so that, I said that's a humorous example, but but maybe you can expound on on some of the challenges that 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 really represents in terms of of thinking through your theological framework, thinking through the methodological framework that you're, you were taught to do ministry with and, and uh, the kind of humility that maybe that, that takes to step into a culture and say, I'm just going to, I'm just going to acknowledge, I know I'm not right about everything. What can I do to evidence that? Mm. And, and go ahead. No. Uh, and we realize the kind of culture is a, is a traditional uh, Catholic culture. They're, you know, 98% uh of them are non-practicing Catholics, but yet the tradition is there. And uh, we had to realize that we had to simplify it, not to the point of, you know, of doing any damage to the Scripture, but simplify it so they understand that, you know, your salvation is not something that you work for. And uh, we had a Bible study. We used Source Light Missions. Uh, we used to call it Mailbox Club, and they still exist. But we used it basically all of our ministers still use it. Um, started out in simple books and everything, and come to the last, had a little test and a little quizzes, and the end of it to test their miles of what they had read and it was very good because they had all the scriptures already. Because most Brazilians didn't have a Bible, and so that was conducive to let, they had the scriptures there. And then and the last question would ask is, "Have you received Christ Jesus as your Savior?" And they would say yes. And the next answer is, is, "When?" And they would say, "When I was baptized." Even after reading the lesson, realizing, and so we had to make them realize that the con- confession of faith and sim- simplicity of the gospel that we had to be careful with them because they're Brazilians are people who want to accommodate and they want to please you. So we had to we had to really take that serious and, and be careful. We didn't we don't baptize. They were shocked when they read our we gave our testimonies and announced that we were baptized as soon as we were we were saved. And uh, so how is that you know? And and this is people who are saved you know. They said well, in the states when you get baptized you submit to baptism and when you get saved after you get saved you know. And then here they delay a little bit. And they go through baptismal training and course. And so there's a lot of a lot of changes that we had to start making in that area. We realized too that there are educational levels. We learned proper Portuguese in, in Manaus through our teacher, Dasi uh, Pessoa, an excellent teacher, uh, taught a lot of missionaries, souls that we may have won to Christ. She gets credit for it, too. And uh, But she taught us right. And we went to something, and we realized that, well, they speak a different Portuguese. <laughs> <laughs> it, it may be that the Brazilians didn't realize this, but you and I speak different English. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Well, well, Jim I, speaks hillbilly. Yeah, yeah. That's his heart language, right? That's what I meant. Well, even when I, we went to pastoring at church in Tennessee and the mountains, uh, man, that was a different language, different culture. Oh, yeah. but, uh, but the different uh, educational levels realized that they could read, which was plus for us, you know. And we did get Bibles. That was great. Uh, they have a Bible, but teaching them how to read it and how to. Our, our first study, uh, studies with some of the people who were trying to, to lead to Christ or anything, uh, they didn't know how to pray a prayer. They could recite mantras or something the Catholic Church came up with, perhaps, but yet they could not. We had to actually do what we did in Portuguese. Our teacher put down written prayer, how to proceed, and how the content of your prayer, and how to end your prayer. And we did the same thing with them. It's like we were teaching them Portuguese. (laughs) 
and, and that way, without trying to get them into a, a habit of just you know reciting it like the Catholics do, they just do it by habit. You know, repeat after the priest, and but you realize it has to come from your heart. And uh, so we realized that their educational level, they could read and write. Some of them didn't finish school; they went to the fifth grade, and so. And then now we're getting kids in there; they're going to university level. And so when you're preaching, you're, you're preaching to, to to various levels. Yeah. And so. Maybe it was criticized a little bit in, the, in a good sense, critical criticism that well, you use too many words, you know. And I said, no, I use those many words because those words, that word, that that person may not understand, but that one they will. And so in Portuguese, of course, it's a very wordy, wordy language anyway, but uh, we use a lot of different uh, words to describe a thing. And they don't get um, – uh, sometimes they don't get illustrations, you know, when you're using illustrations. So we try to use an American illustration. That just doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so you try to explain that. So you have to readapt to that, to things that are, you know, like we're all, we all come from the same, the same uh, farinha sack, you know. Well, that don't mean anything to, to Americans, but it means a lot to them because they know what farinha is. It, mm-hmm. Every meal, this, this flour, this <laughs> starchy manioc root flour they use, it goes on every meal. If we're all the same as the, the farinha, it means we're all sinners, we're all alike. We, no, one, no one's better than the other, but that's something they understand. So we began to lose, learn their, their, their illustrations and things they use. And, you know, if you can't, if you don't have a dog to hunt with, you hunt with a cat. You know, that's <laughs> funny things to us, but yet that's, that means something to them, you know. I couldn't tell for a second if that was something from Tennessee or if that, no, was, no, no. If that was something from Brazil. <laughs> Tennessee's got a lot of too. Uh, well, you know, you know, it's uh, it's a good reminder that uh, even for for pastors and church planners in the states that enculturating yourself is yes. uh, is a necessary part of successful ministry. Yes, and uh, you know. Grand Rapids, Michigan, and Atlanta, Georgia, look a lot a lot different. Yes, and uh, if you're going to do successful ministry in one place. You can't do it like you did in the other, and right. uh, it's a good reminder. So, how how might someone pray for the field of Brazil? And uh, what you know, obviously, there's no shortage of opportunities, but maybe maybe give us some opportunities that would exist in Brazil. Um, in the Amazon, yeah. Um, other than one young couple that we have in Belém, um, we are the last of Baptist Mission missionaries. Um, so there is a definite need in in the, um, Amazon region of Brazil. We need some young people that, you know, are called by God who aren't afraid to, to step out and just do what God calls them to do and not worry about, I mean, some of the questions we got when, when we first, um, surrendered to go to Brazil, you mean you're going to take your little children to the Amazon? I mean, how could you do that? You know, um, that the center of God's will is the safest place to be, no matter where you are. And uh, we knew that's where God wanted us. And, yeah, we faced things, a lot of things. Like I had mentioned before, our one daughter almost died from internal hemorrhaging. While we were still in Santarém, our son here in the States was shot and killed. Um, so, there, have, you know, it's not all flowers and <laughs> um, and roses, but, but God gives the strength and the, and the grace yeah. to go on through through it all yeah and um but there's definite definite need for church planners in brazil especially in the north of brazil i'm not taking away from graham's part <laughs> of brazil but but we really need people up there you know it's a huge area and very few laborers i, I think it's interesting you said that uh al spieth who was a pioneer missionary had been working his way down the amazon and took you at the end of his ministry to Santarém, where you spent your life in establishing several churches. I've been there. I've preached in some of those churches. Yeah. 
but the the job's not done. Right. Amazon goes on for a thousand miles or more. Yeah, there are thousands of tributaries that feed from the north into the Amazon, from the south into the Amazon, and you just think about the thousands of villages. And we've been in some of the villages, took boat trips just to survey and look, and and they don't even have a Catholic priest there. But you know, who's going to go there? Al spent forty years up and down just the Madeira River before he ever got the vision to go start on the Amazon, and uh, uh, you know this. The Brazilians need to be doing the work, and they can do it better than we can. But yet, right. you still have to have those those pioneer ministries uh, to go in there and to, and to initiate them. And, and who's yeah. going to do the work now? We we, pr- we our, our prayer request is that God will give us good men of God, good good men of God that will come to Santa Ana in that area, and and stay stay the course. And, mm-hmm. and 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 it is a hard place. It's, it's a hard, hard place. place. People come to Santa even Brazilians, mm-hmm. and leave. Yeah. Yes, uh, it's it's not an easy place to serve the Lord. I commend this couple who spent their lives in one of the toughest places. Folks, praying to show you the situation. Uh, the church is established. Uh, when we went back to the field in 2013, uh, our last pastor left us, and we had four churches without pastors. And uh, one church had good laymen in it, could do the work. Uh, I, I was pastoring three of those churches the last seven years, and uh, finally got two. Pastors come in, one doing a good job in the, in the Victory Church, but the um, the other pastor just left us after almost almost three years. Went back to the north region of, of Brazil, the state of Roraima, and so we still still have three pastors, Pray for three pastors. churches without pastors. We need pastors to come and stay. And there's not a lot of low hanging fruit. I say, and they talk about the strategic planning. We learned about the low hanging fruit. And that's easy to pick, you know. But uh, you got to climb a tree, sometimes shake a tree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, I appreciate your time with us today, and and uh, we will be praying with you about all that. And for those of us are listening today uh, just encourage you to remember the shaws and and uh, the field of brazil in your prayers as you as you think about it today and in the days ahead and uh, we're grateful as always for you joining us here on the send 938 podcast if you have any comments or questions about today's episode or any other you can send those to send 938 at bmm.org and as always leave us a five-star review and a comment to help others find the send 938 podcast on whatever streaming platform you may be listening today we'll see you here next time the Send 938 podcast.